Well, good morning. Merry, Merry Christmas. It, uh, it is great to be together this morning uh, with all of you, and uh, we're so glad that you've come here. And for us to be able to celebrate this morning the birth of Jesus Christ and then all that that means for each and every one of us here today, it's just a privilege. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're just we're so privileged to have all of you here and uh, for us to be able to, to worship together in this place this morning. You know, Kara said in that, that story that we just saw, she said, maybe it didn't really matter what picture I had in mind. She said, maybe it was all about the light. And, uh, you know, as she was talking about that picture and describing that, that little house, that kind of cozy house tucked away in the middle of the woods and, you know, the snow just falling perfectly in the, you can just picture the smoke coming just perfectly out of the chimney and not too much snow, but just enough and the moonlight just hitting it just right. And one of those perfect pictures, right? And isn't it true, though, that um, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can get a picture in our mind, and I think that little house, it represents something bigger. I think that little house and it tucked away in the woods and how picturesque it is, I think it can represent for us sometimes how we can cling to a picture of our life, of how it should be or could be or how we one day dream it will be, and how we can get that picture in our mind and what that can kind of do as sometimes, oftentimes, those grand pictures maybe don't come to be. They don't come to fruition. Um, what do we do then when the picture that we have is oftentimes a little bit more lofty than what life delivers? Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Um, uh, several months ago, I, I shared with our church that our eight-year-old daughter, Ashlyn, that she had been telling us that she wanted a dog. And um, she had been pestering us about this dog that we needed to get for months and months and months. I mean, it's at least 12 months this has been going on. And um, it just kept going. And this picture, though, that she had in her mind, the picture that she was latched onto was that our family would be perfect if we had a dog. It's kind of like maybe you go through life and you have a picture in your mind of, of, you know what, if I just got the right job, then life would be perfect, you know, or it's that lofty picture of the, the job that has no stress, or maybe it's the family gathering that everyone gets along at and no one is pretending. Imagine that, right? Um, or maybe it's this, it's the, the marriage that has no hiccups. It's the lofty picture of that, or maybe it's the perfect score. It's being the top student. We can get those pictures in our minds, can't we? It's the picture of you open up the, the oven on Christmas Day and you pull out the ham and, and instead of you just, you know, cutting into it and it being kind of like needing to get the hacksaw out because it's so dry, you cut into it and it just, oh, it just oozes with moisture, right? It's the, it's the perfect picture. Well, our daughter Ashlyn had this perfect picture of our family, and that family had a dog in it. And so she keeps going on and on and on about this. And, and, and we, um, you know, I was, got to the point where she was starting to wear me down because of three children, she's the only girl, two boys and a girl. And so she has this kind of magical power over me, I, I realize sometimes. And so she keeps talking about this. And so it's beginning to wear on me, and I'm finding myself with the rest of our family oftentimes on Sunday afternoons at the dog kennel. And so we're learning. I didn't, wasn't raised with a dog. And so we're learning about dogs and, and different breeds of dogs. And the whole idea is this. It's Ashlyn. We're going to do this because someday we, keyword, might get a dog. But Ashlyn, this is years down the road. Because, sweetheart, you know we don't have a, a backyard for all of this. And, and our, we would need a fence and just a whole different setup. And, and we gave her all sorts of these lame excuses that she was very sharp and she's bright and she's cute. And so she combated all of those. And, but here's the thing. Some of you began to also come to me, and I want to just say to you, shame on you, church. <laughs> yeah, 
like a lot of you. Uh, one gal who I really respect, and I, I see her often, uh, she's a good friend, she actually named the dog that my poor deprived children would soon be getting. Um, another family, a very great family, they came to us and they said, you know, we would like to give you one of our puppies for free, absolutely free of charge. What a kind offer, offer right? I can't tell you how many people said, will there be this year, Jeff, a little dog under the Christmas tree? Well, I was telling our whole staff about this, and uh, Pastor Steve spoke up in the context of our, our staff meeting, you know, so the whole team's around the circle. And he said, you know, you know, staff, he said, I think we need to pray for Jeff because he's being a cruel father. And then kind of underneath his breath, he mumbled this. He said, might God soften his hard heart, you know, and I'm thinking, it's still, still hurts, you know, still hurts. So finally, in a, in a weak moment, we broke down, and we brought home not just one, but two. Here they are. Check them out. Now, now, play along. Play along. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking those look a lot like guinea pigs, but I just want you to picture in your mind whatever kind of dog you like, right? Whatever kind, the power of the mind. Now, here's the deal. We had this picture in our minds that if we just got these two animals, Zig and Zag, I'm not sure which is which, but that's their names. Zig and Zag, if we got them and these little furry creatures came into our home, it would pacify the needs of our daughter. It would buy us time, we thought. And so we had this picture in our mind that these two little varmints would be great. Well, here's the thing. What I realized about these animals very quickly is they eat just a few of these pellets here. And then all day long of their ever-loving lives, they produce so many pellets of their own, Right? <laughs> I kid you not, I came home that first day, I looked in the cage, and I said, what in the world? It looked like someone had taken a whole bag of, of, of chocolate chips and just whoosh, spread them all over. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't matching the picture that we had in mind. Our picture was that these things would just be great, and, but they weren't. And then I walked into to Ashlyn's room, this is on like day three, and I said, Ashlyn, it smells like a barn in here. And I said, I love barns, but I don't want a barn in our home. And so we began to kind of rustle through that. And, but then there was this defining moment. It was the moment that Christina pulled me aside privately, and she said to me, she said, Jeff, you know, we can take them back. And I said, take what back? And she said, we can take the animals back. Now, I didn't know you can take animals back. I thought if you did that, you'd have to pay a fine or you'd make your name in the paper. Or I, don't, I don't know. I didn't think you know you can take animals back. She said, yeah, we have 14 days to take these animals back. And so I had a new mission in life at that point. So I went to Ashlyn, cute little girl, and I said, Ashlyn, I said, babe, do you know how cool it would be if you had all the money that we're going to get if you take these animals back in your pocket? And so I began to paint this better picture of what life would be like without them, right? And so this went on for a couple of days, and we did take them back. And I just want to tell you, um, parents, uh, just a word to you, this is not how you win a gold star in parenting. It's, it's just not, right? But the night before we returned these two little creatures, Easton, our five-year-old, he spoke up and he said, he said, you know, zig and zag, he said, they just weren't the dog that Ashlyn has always wanted. <laughs> and I said, man, for a little five-year-old, that was right on point, buddy. Yeah. But here's the thing. Our cute little picture of what these things would be like and what they would do in her life and how we could kind of refrain from getting a dog, it was too lofty. Now, there's a reason why I tell you this story, this rather humbling story. There is a point. Isn't it true? I mean, think about this for a second. 
Think about the areas of your life, the big areas and the small areas of your life. Oftentimes what happens is this. We paint a picture that's too lofty. We, think, we paint a picture of meeting just the right person. We paint a picture of having just the right family. We, we paint all of these pictures in our minds, and lots of times, most often, life does not deliver on those. On the flip side of that, and this is what I want to talk to you about this morning, so many times while we can paint a lofty picture of what could be and should be and what we dream of one day will be, oftentimes we paint such a small picture of what life with God could be and should be like. And this makes sense why we do this. Even as we think about celebrating Christmas, even as we're in the rhythm of the holidays right now. I mean, when something becomes familiar to you, doesn't it change a little bit of the oomph to it? Doesn't the awe and kind of the newness of it change? Did anyone have an awe moment when you put your shoes on this morning? No, it's familiar. It's a, it's a habit, right? Or sometimes it's this. Sometimes it's not even just the familiarity. Sometimes it's just the lack of knowledge. It's not knowing, okay, what exactly is at stake in a moment like the one that we're celebrating this morning? What, is, what exactly are we celebrating? And in, unless we have a very, very clear picture of that, it's easy to kind of brush through it. It's easy to not have a big enough picture of who God is and the life that he invites us to, the magnitude of it. So this morning, what I want to do is this. I want to take you to a unique passage of Scripture it's in Galatians chapter 4, and it's going to give us this incredible window into exactly who Jesus Christ is, who it is that we're celebrating this morning. And this is my prayer for us here this morning. Whether this is brand new for you, um, maybe this is, this is all new information, maybe you've been away from church for a while, or maybe you would say, you know what, I've got a lot of Christmases under my belt. My prayer for you this morning, for all of us, is this. That the scriptures would paint such a picture of who Jesus Christ is that it would lead us into the truest form of what a relationship with him can be like. That it would truly paint a picture that's not too lofty, but it would do justice for us to say, whoa, that's what I long for. That's what I long uh, to have in my life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the words of the Apostle Paul. And, and he wrote to this group of churches. And know this, his motivation in writing the book of Galatians was this. He cared deeply for this group of people. And he wanted them to know what it truly meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he wanted them to know exactly who Jesus is. Now here's the thing. As he's writing to them, Paul knows this, and you can see this. If you read through the entire letter, you'll see very clearly that to his core, he cares for these people, and he longs for them to know who Christ is, but he knows this. Their picture of Jesus, it's way too small. Their picture of Jesus doesn't match up to who Jesus really is. And so it's as though the Apostle Paul picks up a paintbrush and he goes to a blank canvas and with his words he paints this beautiful, compelling picture of who Jesus Christ is. And so we're going to begin this morning um, in Galatians chapter 4, um, uh, verse 4. And I just I want to encourage you, you can turn there uh, and maybe in an app this morning or in your Bible and, and uh, we'll put these verses up on the screen as well. But the picture, know, know this, the picture that Paul paints is this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I think it's the kind of picture that you just stand back this morning. And when we sing a song like, oh, come let us adore him, I think the, the picture for the follower of Christ is, oh, yeah, I am in awe of the baby in the manger. Yeah, that, 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 is, that does create wonder and awe in me. 
And then if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, I think it says this to you. I think it allows you to to hit the pause button and to really consider the claims of Jesus Christ and to really contemplate and to really sit in even what that means for both you and I. So Galatians chapter 4 is is where we are. And know this, when we get to Galatians 4 verse 4, Paul has been talking already about what it means to be in relationship with, with God, what it means to know Christ. But when we get to verse 4, it's as though Paul comes to the peak. It's as though he reaches the climax of everything that he's been communicating. And so look with me at verse 4 of Galatians chapter 4. It says, but when the, the set time had fully come. Now let me ask you, have you ever been waiting for something for a long time? Like you anticipated something happening for a long period of time, and the longer that you waited, the more excitement was building in order for that event to finally happen. Paul says this, when the set time had fully come, meaning this, when the set time, when, when the people of, of God had been waiting the long-awaited time, this long period of time when they'd been waiting for the Messiah to come, when that time had finally expired, it was a big deal. When the time had fully come. It was a moment. What we're about to read, it was a moment. And what happened in that moment after this long period had finally expired, what happened in that moment has led to the life change of millions and millions of people because for millions and millions of people, as a result of what happened after the time had fully come, lives have been changed and people, countless people, have encountered who God is. And so he says this, but when the time had fully come, what, did, what happened? Four words, four, the four more, most important words we could look at this morning. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Four words that we can't miss this morning. God sent his son. This is the, this is the first Christmas. What happened when that time had been fully met? What happened? God sent his son, and that is the greatest miracle ever. The miracle, think about that, that the Son of God would actually come and he would live as a baby. He would be born in a manger. I mean, think about that. It's it's amazing. When Mary, when she held Jesus as a baby, maybe she sang him a lullaby to sleep. Maybe she was just sitting there holding, whatever, whatever she was doing. Think about this for a second. She was holding the Son of God. This is why this is such a big deal here at Christmas time. You know, we're going to come back to the book of Galatians. I want to bring us back to that. But I want to take a little break here. I want to take you to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And the reason why I want to do that is because in Hebrews chapter 1, we also get great insight into exactly who is this son that was sent by God. Who is he? It paints us an incredible picture of who Jesus is. Let this form in you afresh who Jesus is, or maybe for the very first time, let this frame how you think of Jesus Christ. And so it says this in Hebrews 1.1. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. You can think of that like this. It's the entire Old Testament. It's it's that, that God, there was a time when God spoke to his people and the way that he spoke to his people, he did it through prophets. He did it through these men that would come and they would speak to his people, but... It's a huge word, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's saying this, that God is no longer speaking through these prophets, but God is speaking now. He's speaking through his son, Jesus Christ. 
It's huge. When God spoke, know this, when God spoke things into being, it was the voice of Jesus Christ that was speaking. It's huge. And then he goes on and he says this, whom he appointed, he's talking about Jesus here, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. When it says that he appointed as heir of all things, what it's mean, what it's saying is this, that Jesus Christ is the owner of everything and the reason why he's the owner of everything is because he made the universe. It's because when God, again, when God spoke things into existence, it was the name, it was the voice of Jesus Christ that was actually speaking. And so since he made it all, he owns it all. And then verse 3, this paints a picture. And, and again, let your view of Jesus Christ be renewed this morning. Or let it be painted for the very first time. I mean, when we sing a song like that, oh, come, let us adore him. Think of who, who, who is it that we're adoring. And it goes on to say this, verse 3. It says, the Son, this is Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's saying this, that Jesus Christ is the full expression of the glory of God. That baby in a manger and how he would grow up and one day he would die and then he would prove that he's God. He would rise from the dead. What is he? He is the full expression of the glory of God. And what does he do? He sustains all things, meaning this, not only does he create the universe by the words that he spoke, but he actually holds the universe together by his power. At the command of his word, things happen. And then he goes on, he says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down, he's talking about Jesus again, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So think about this. Now the writer, he's kind of switching. He's, he's going now to the cross. And he's saying, okay, this is something. Let this paint the picture of who you have in your mind of Jesus Christ. Now these people, they would have known when, when the writer of Hebrews said that he, Jesus, provided purifications for sins, his listeners would have known what that would have been familiar to them. They would have thought in their mind, okay, we know what purification of sins looks like. That's a, that's a thing that happens fairly regularly. It's got to continue to happen. That's when an animal gets sacrificed, and then the, the blood of that animal, it represents the covering of our sin. Our sin is then atoned for. But Jesus was different. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that, he, that Jesus actually provided purification for our sins, meaning this, and you can think of it this way. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, John the Baptist didn't say, look, the Lamb of God who covers the sins of the world. No, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God, the long-awaited, the time has fully come. God sent his son. Look, there he is, the Lamb of God, who, here it is, takes away the sin of the world once and for all. Oh, come, let us adore him. This baby is just no baby. This is the one who grew up and he would provide purification for our sins. And then it says this, verse 4, it says, So he became, Jesus, as superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. 
What it's saying here is this. I mean, think about the magnitude of this. It's that Jesus Christ, not only, not only did he die, not only did he, was he born in a manger, then he grew up to be a man, and then, then he died for our sins. He rises from the dead. But where is he now? It says that he's, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty. He's seated at the right hand of God. It's a, it's a position of power. It's a position of, of, of authority. He's superior. And now we know this. The scriptures say that in heaven now at the right hand of God sits Jesus. And what is around him? There are angels around him who are worshiping him. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. Oh, come. Think about it. Oh, come, let us adore him. He's so worthy of our worship. But think about how he came. And let that even fuel in us an awe and a sense of wonder. He didn't come in beautiful circumstances. He didn't come to a well-decorated palace. It wasn't comfortable. There were no beautiful rooms. There were no reservations. But the way that he came in his humility, it matched the life that he lived, and it matched the death that he died. Think about that. The creator of the entire universe. Let us, oh, let us adore him. What did he do? He came to die. He did not come so that, you know, everybody could go grab around and just clap and just, you know, lift him up. No, no, no. He came to die. Absolute humility. And now what do the angels do? They cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Let this enlarge our picture of Jesus. Okay, back to Galatians. Now, now remember this. Paul's number one motivation is this. He wants his listeners to have a full picture of who Jesus is. He doesn't want them to miss out on anything about who Jesus is in the relationship that he offers. And so he says this. Here it is. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, to redeem means this. To redeem means to, 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 to buy back. It's like this. It's like I'm going to stand before God, a holy God one day, and I will owe a debt for my sin. Ask anybody who knows me well or even anybody who doesn't know me very well. I have a lot of sin in my life. We all do. And so I will stand before God, and here's what it means to be redeemed. It means that when God looks at me on that day, God will not look at my sin, and I will not be charged guilty because of my sin. But since I've been redeemed, it means that God has paid the price. God has bought me back so that when God sees me, he will not see me. He will see his son a perfect sacrifice. And so I will be judged, thank goodness, not based on my behavior, but I will be judged on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To redeem means that we're bought back. What incredible news. It means that Jesus Christ pays the debt that you and I could not pay. But then it gets better. He says this, and that we might receive adoption to sonship. Huge words. This week I was encouraged to watch uh, a video that showed these young kids um, that are in the foster care system, it showed these kids getting the surprise news that they had been adopted. And so you can just picture it was uh, this incredible little video. These kids, it's Christmas morning, they're all in their pajamas, they're picturing them, they're sitting on the couch, and the oldest one's 10, and then a younger brother and a younger sister. And so the father comes out and, and is catching this all on video, and he gives this 10-year-old boy this box. And this young child, he opens the box, and, 
And he begins to see in, inside of it that there's a, a, the official adoption documents. And so this 10-year-old boy begins to read them, and he realizes what it is. And then he sees, oh, this is, a, this is official. And then he sees his name written. And then he sees the name of his younger brother. And then he sees the name of his younger sister. And you can just tell it's beginning to soak in with this kid. They're finally being adopted. They do not any longer need to think about their next home or how long they're going to be staying at the one they finally like. And so in his emotion, this young boy, he stands up and he, he runs to his father. And as he runs to his father, his father says this, it's official. You are a part of our family. And this kid, just, you know, as you can imagine, just grabs him and they're just crying and mom comes in and hugging and and the camera stays on this little boy this kid is so overcome with emotion he goes into the kitchen and they're still taping him and he's just overcome why it's because he finally belongs it's because he's finally got a permanent family it's touching and so I, I watched this and I'm like, you know, tearing up, you know, and, and, and I saw that there was a link to another story like it, and I thought, wow, I signed up for Tear Fest, I guess, you know, so, so I watched it, I clicked on it. It's the story of this girl named Meredith, 19 years old. Now, are there very many 19-year-olds that are being adopted? No, they're aging out of the foster care system. This 19-year-old girl, Meredith, she loses her mom when she's nine years old, but then she gets introduced to this girl named Anne. Anne is her teacher and also her mentor. So Anne's in her life for a period of years. Well, Anne, one day, when, when, when Meredith grows up a little bit, she says, why don't you come and live with us, with, Anne's, with her and her husband, Zach, and they've got their own family. And Anne is just nine years older than Meredith. And so Zach, then, he's only known, the husband, has only known Meredith for just the time that she's been in their home, about six months. And so they just said to her, they said, you know, we want to have a little meeting with you and we just want to heap some praise on you for the things that we see in your life. And so we're actually going to videotape it because we want you to remember this moment. And so the videotape's rolling. And, and so they're sitting there. And it was so cool because Zach said, he said, you know, you may have been rejected many times in your life. We know that. And you may have had people say hurtful things and do hurtful things to you throughout the course of your life. And then he says, but I just want you to know, this is so powerful. He said, I just want you to know you are dearly loved. You are dearly loved by God. And then this was the news, and it was so neat the way that he said it. He said, and we want to tell you today that we are adopting you into our family. You will be a permanent member of our family. And Meredith just loses it, just crying in her mom's, new mom's lap. And the dad then says this to her. He says, we are going to take care of you. We are going to protect you. We are going to love you. We will be your family forever. And finally, Meredith kind of pulls herself together and she says, does this mean I can call you mom and dad? Isn't, that, isn't it true? That sense, that desire to belong, it never goes away, does it? Think about this. When Jesus Christ came to earth, not only did he live a perfect life and die a death so that he might be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. That is incredible news. That alone is like, oh, come, let us adore him. But beyond that, also God says this, in light of who you are, he says, I'm adopting you. I want to bring you into my family. You can enter the family of God through Jesus Christ. I mean, lots of times we'll, we'll say this to our kids, you know, maybe I'm with East and our five-year-old and I'll get right down on his level, and I'll say, I'll say, hey, Easton, 
I said, Easton, if I was to line up all the five-year-old boys in the entire world, you know, maybe I put them into a big football stadium. I mean, just imagine that, just thousands of five-year-old boys. I said, and Easton, imagine if someone said to me, I could only take one home. I said, what do you think I would do? And then I said, I look right in his eyes and I say, Easton, I would choose you every single time. And then he's like, Dad, I don't think you'd be able to find me in that stadium. You know, all those kids, you know, running around, you know. And think about this for a second. God, don't miss this. God chooses you. You are not an obligation to God. The God of the universe did not have to choose you. He did not. He does not. But he does. He, he chooses us. He wants to out of his love and out of his grace. He says, I choose you. He says, not only am I saying to you that I am yours, but he's saying you are mine. You are no longer a stranger. He chooses us. He's saying you're no longer a guest. He says, when you think about your relationship with me, God says, don't think stranger. Don't think just friend. Don't think just a visitor. Don't think an outsider that I hope maybe we'll get to know each other someday. No. God looks at you as a son. God looks at you as a daughter. Oh, come, let us adore him. I mean, think about that. We, we have sonship. You are a daughter of God. It's incredible. And then the last two verses. Let's look at these. Verse 6 keeps getting better. Because you are his sons and his daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. It's, it's God's way of saying this. It's kind of like he's putting an exclamation point on it, and he's saying... Okay, since you are a child of God, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you so that when we communicate, it's not as though a stranger communicating to a slave master. It's as though it's a child communicating to a father. It's the spirit that lives inside us that we call out to him, Abba, Father. It's a, it's a relationship. Know this, that God, when he looks at you and I, he says, you know what? In that new identity as a child of God, I can write a different story for your life. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 7. It keeps getting better. It says, so you are no longer a slave, meaning you're no longer under the bondage of your sin. You don't need to live under the weight and the pressure of always wondering, do you match up? Do you line up? Are you flying straight enough? You don't need to do that. You are no longer a slave, but, as, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Meaning that, that, that everything, all of the promises of God, all the things that he's promised to his children, you can count on those. Imagine the peace that you would live with if you knew that you were receiving an inheritance that would blow your mind. That's what's true of the child of God. No longer a slave, but as God's child, what happens? We also, we are, we are, we are his heir. Everything that he's promised to us. You know, it's true, you and I, we can spend our entire lives wondering, am I good enough? We can spend our entire lives wondering, am I strong enough? Am I loved enough? Do I, do I match up well enough? Am I valuable enough? But when we begin to then look at ourselves, not as a slave, as a foreigner, as someone apart from God, but when we see ourselves as a child of God, it changes everything. When our identity becomes not as an I don't know, but as a child of God, it changes everything. Our circumstances may not be perfect, but as a child of God, our perspective and the reality of who we are, it is a game changer. We have an inheritance with God. Not only are we redeemed, not only are we forgiven, but we become a true child of the living God. But it takes this. It's you 
and it's me. Letting go and kind of saying, okay, God, here's a blank canvas for my life. Here's the paintbrush, Lord. Here's the paper. Here's the pen, Lord. You write the story. You paint the picture. God, I'll give you that. And Lord, I'll trust you that you're going to paint a bit better picture than one that I could ever think or imagine that I possibly could through my own effort and my own hopes and dreams. It's letting go of that. And when we do that, oh, what a joy. God creates a picture that is better than we ever thought or imagined. No matter how many times maybe this morning this is going through your mind, no matter how many times you've rejected God, know this. His invitation is always, always open to you. Think about this. Even an earthly father that's halfway decent, if he loses a child, if the child just wanders off, that father will continue to look for that child, will just continue and continue and continue to look. Think about this. You have a perfect father in heaven. And if you've wandered or you've been out a while or whatever it is, Know this, he never stops pursuing you. Never. It's the greatest invitation ever. And while we might overshoot in many ways this picture that we have in our minds of what life should be like, what a family of five with a dog would actually look like, what the perfect job or meeting Mr. Per- whatever that would be, while we might overshoot that picture in our minds, we can never paint too great a picture of who God is and what life with him is like. And so I want to end with this simple question. Here it is. Have you embraced God's invitation? You see, Christmas isn't about the perfect picture because there are no guarantees of perfect. Christmas isn't about that. Christmas truly is, it's about finding the light. And when we truly do, when we see God for who he really is, it causes us to go, oh, wow, it's amazing. And so it all comes back to this then, verse, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, here it is, four words that can change our lives. God sent his son. And the reality of that historic moment has the potential to change everything for you and I. It's incredible the invitation that God invites us in and the picture that God says, okay, I want to paint this for your life. And so would you, uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And Father, thank you for the fact that when you look at us, Lord, you don't treat us as a slave. Lord, you treat us as a child. And you dearly love us. And Lord, that is such incredible news to us. And so this morning, Lord, we just want to say to you, as we think and as we sing and as we go through Christmas, we point to the baby in the manger this Christmas and with awe and wonder, we praise you because of what it means. God, you are worthy. Oh, come, we adore you. And Father, thank you that you open up the greatest invitation ever. Invitation for us to be able to say, Lord, Lord, here's the pen. Lord, you write the story of my life. I'm going to give that to you, Lord. I am I'm a sinner in need of your grace. And so, God, I let you have control. And, Lord, when we do that, we stand back and we experience life with God. And, Lord, what a joy it is to know that, Lord, we are not foreigners to you, but we are children of the living God. Lord, thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.